everyone, and welcome back to the next edition of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Now, Nick, now that the MLB All-Star Game is passed, we are officially what is referred to in America as the dog days of summer. The NBA Finals are done. The NFL, currently the Bengals don't play for another 55 days. Like I said, we're in the back half of the Major League Baseball season where half the teams aren't even in playoff contention anymore, so no one cares. And it's just a bit of a it's a bit of a dry patch for the American sports world. You know, is there anything like that in Australia, sort of dog days of summer? You know, how, or do you guys just, you're not as obsessed with sports as we are, so you don't have that dry period where everyone's desperate to lay down a parlay bet? Now, 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 we're pretty damn obsessed with uh, sport, I'll have you know. Uh, uh, good question. I think we don't, we have this, this, the cricket season, and then you have like rugby league and AFL seasons. They overlay pretty much almost alike for like. So normally when I was growing up, it was rugby league or, or the AFL, and then it was cricket through the, through the summer months, um, which is at December, January, February sort of time. And that was about it. But now you're, Aussies are pretty big on international sports. They're big on the Premier League. They're big on international events. Australians are bloody obsessed with sports. It's pretty pretty mad. It's quite weird, actually. When the last time I went back to Australia, I remember going to a pub and hearing the Fox Sports Australia was the the, the big Aussie uh, pay TV channel. And hearing Aussies talk about and pronounce like foreign Premier League players' names is really funny because they – They've probably never left the country and they really struggle their way through uh, announcing various Europeans and international players who have really funky names. So I actually cringe a bit when I hear when I hear the thick Aussie accent talking about uh, British or European sports, uh, which is a bad habit to fall into. It gets you into a lot of trouble. But yeah, no, Australians, Australians love it. But it was pretty simplified, you know, because of that. It was either you that's why you would always have you're either a rugby rugby league or an AFL fan and a cricket fan. It's like you're neither or and always one because they don't cross over with each other. Yeah, well, speaking of uh, names are difficult to pronounce, I actually think it's more difficult to spell than pronounce, but we now have Victor Wembayamba. Like I said, I think I've done that all right. I've got Giannis Antetokounmpo down, so I think I've got Ooh. those particular ones down. I couldn't spell them to save my life, but uh, the NBA is continuing to serve up more names for us to struggle to try to pronounce. Yeah, the, that's the growing, the beauty of the international game. Maybe, the, is there any other sports that are emerging that we should be like tuning into or following through the next couple of months? Chris, come on. We were talking about hot dog competitions last week, I think, from memory. We uh, we have pickleball. We talked about slam ball. Pickleball's uh, got to be up and coming soon, surely. Uh, what was that trampoline sport again? What was that one called? Slam ball. Slam ball. Maybe we should watch a bit of slam ball before we are uh, um, through the dog days of summer or whatever you've called yeah, it. So uh, I'm up for it. Absolutely. Well, something where there's never a dull moment seemingly is the social media world. Um, we've got Elon Musk doing whatever Elon's doing with Twitter, which also includes him, you know, challenging Mark Zuckerberg to a, a boxing match, apparently. And, you know, there's always kind of fun, exciting stuff to do, which is going to lead us into this episode where we're going to be joined by Sean Verity. Sean, we're going to describe you as a content digital marketing expert. Um, I'll kind of do a brief intro for him. He's worked and done some different things with the likes of UEFA, the NBA, Sky Sports, the Premier League. I think I've listed off some of the nice ones, but the list goes on. Uh, so, Sean, we're bringing you in today because we are going to talk a little bit about the, the social media landscape, kind of what that looks from a digital space, talking about new platform and thread as well as talking about some of the different things in terms of measurements and you know we saw one of your linkedin posts which inspired us to reach out to you you know you also wrote an article i believe in january or february this year talking about sports organizations love to tout these huge metric numbers but what do they actually mean if anything at all so sean we appreciate you coming on to join us today for the stream time podcast 
Thanks for having me, guys. And um, if I can just throw a throw a sport into the hat, a summer sport into the hat, I've fallen in love with the Tour de France this year. I I, mm. I, I fell down their funnel mm. exactly how they would have loved me to fall down their funnel. I watched the Unchained series on mm. Netflix, myself and my fiance. And there's a few people that don't know she's my fiance yet, so I might be dropping oh, in, dropping a nugget there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but look, it's 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 fascinating. It is such a fascinating sport. It's one of those that you start watching and you just want to know more and more and more. Um, so yeah, that's been taking up plenty of my time this summer. It's a good example, actually, because I I have to admit, Sean, I'm actually in the same boat with Tour de France. I um, started watching a bit of the Unchained. Like, I, I I do try and follow it year on year, but I kind of didn't really follow it much last year. And again, this is what we've talked a bit before, Chris, about how like the consumption by a fan is completely different these days. Right? I haven't watched a single minute of live Tour de France, yet I've watched nearly an hour every single day of the highlights, extended highlights package every night, uh, watching that content and, and watching on, on, on social and so forth. So, you know, and, and then watching Unchained as well on Netflix uh, in the build-up, although I haven't finished that, the, I'm pretty sure I know what happens. So, yeah, it's just interesting to see that, that dynamic. But I think Tour de France is a great pick, and it's been a great, great, great year this year, Chris. Have you tuned into the Tour de France at all? You've heard our Sports Pro uh, podcast friends uh, talking a bit about it. Have you listened in to that one? So, I'll be honest with you. I basically don't follow any individual sports, whether it's golf, tennis, racing. Like, don't ask me why. I just, I couldn't say there's really... Other than like when Usain Bolt was doing his thing or Michael Phelps and it was kind of the Olympics is that big moment. I really don't follow any individual sports. I, I don't even know why. I just don't. <laughs> but, that, but that's not the th- that's the thing, Chris. It's not an individual sport. And that's that's part of the beauty of it. That's part of the, the that's something to learn when you when you start falling down the funnel. That there's so much <laughs> to it. And I'm gonna ruin his name now, but Pokacic, Pokacic, the uh, the guy that's in second place at the moment as we're recording this. Um, there's been some great videos about him in the, with him in the peloton, orchestrating his guys around him, like positioning them, telling them when to go, following them. It's, it's, it's so amazing. And I went for a run yesterday and I found myself on my run, picturing their face as they go up those hills to try and inspire myself, to try and inspire myself because geez, if they can get up those hills, then I can run up my little hill down the road, you know? Matt, I mean, you're just picturing yourself with a peloton around you uh, and uh, <laughs> getting reduced air, reduced air, air uh, was it, improving your aerodynamics as well up the up the hill, however you can. Um, yeah, it's great. Anyway, we're um, I will intro- we might ask you about Tour de France later and see what your take is on their their social approach as well. But uh, let's jump into it, Chris. Yeah, sure. So we'll start with like I said, there's never a dull moment in the social media space and interestingly there's i think multiple layers to this but we'll try to stick to the non-political side non-legal side of things but there's been a new platform launch called threads now i'll be honest with you i've not gotten onto the platform i'm very prescriptive in the way i use social media instagram is sort of my personal following people that i'm close to family and friends facebook is basically just an organization tool for some of the different teams i'm with um twitter's where i exclusively go for sports news fantasy sports and then tiktok's what i do on the train where I need to pass 20 minutes. I'm pretty prescriptive. So I've not been on threads yet. I don't really know what role it's supposed to play, but maybe Sean, you could give us a little bit of an idea of where it kind of sits in the, the social media space, where it, what its role is supposed to be or what it kind of looks like from a user experience. Cause I don't know if you've been on it, Nick, I haven't. So I've seen people screenshotting it, but I don't know a ton about it. From a user experience, more or less it's Twitter to a user. That's what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a Twitter without Elon. 
Um, <laughs> to a business, it's less than that. Now, it's amazing what Meta have done. And I think they, they've, they built the entire platform in eight months. Um, so there's always going to be gaps. They're not going to have the full functionality that Twitter does. They don't have paid ads, for example, which is a big negative if you're comparing the two as a business. And the signups have been hugely impressive. The last number I saw was, I think it was, it was 100 million signups in 10 days or so. But I would say that you're always going to have a spike when a platform launches, especially so when it's a platform that's owned by Meta and you pop open the app and it, and it moves your entire following across into threads. The real metrics that are going to count and are worth paying attention to are A, retention, and B, active users. Because signups are one thing, but if over the course of time it, it, it dissipates and it, 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 it disappears, as many platforms have done in the past, then, um, then yeah, it, it, it's, it's not going to have the same value for businesses that Twitter does as it currently does. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've been on the platform now a bit and, you know, Sean's obviously is, is concisely nailed it pretty well. It, some of the numbers that you're seeing from, you know, some of the, let's say the, the sports teams and leagues are very impressive numbers on, on signups. You're talking millions. So, you know, off the fly here, you've got, uh, gosh, I'm, you know, you've got, say, f- athletes who've got in the millions already. You know, Tom Brady's nearly in a million. Uh, I think I last saw uh, Man United at, at nearly 2 million followers. I think C- City uh, have similar overtimes at 700,000 as a media platform. Champions League's up to nearly 4 million followers. But, you know, what was incredible, right, is that um, the, the the frictionless experience of transitioning or setting up on your account was was unbelievable. Uh, so the fact they got to 100 million isn't as surprising as Sean's point. I think it's a really important one that... Yeah, the, the retention rate is going to be really key from what I've seen so far is um, it is just a light version of Twitter. Um, you know, you can post, I think, more characters. Uh, it's pretty easy to do with do threads, but you can't, for example, the link with Instagram is not really seamless. You know, for example, you can't share video, uh, your reels or anything, any content from one platform to the other with ease. It's, it's still pretty... Um, on the respective platforms. So I'm interested to see where it get, gets to. At the moment, it looks like everyone's just replicating their content on multiple platforms, I suppose. I don't know if you've seen that, Sean, or uh, if you expect that to be just basically the, the playbook for a while until things things play out for, for some of those sports teams. Until it promises greater value, that's exactly what I expect, yeah. At this stage, it should only be a minor distraction to a sports organization. They, um, they should have grander plans. They should have bigger issues and bigger problems and bigger challenges to approach and deal with. Um, so if this is causing, I think this was in my LinkedIn post that you picked up on, Chris. If this is causing you any kind of headache from a strategy or a um, resourcing perspective, then you are placing too much weight on social platforms and not taking your own destiny into your own hands. You have too much reliance upon third-party platforms with algorithms that aren't supposed to be fully understood by design. So you should stick with your, um, with your core digital strategy until there's a real reason 
beyond some more followers to sell to sponsors to actually pursue um, a concise strategy within threads. It's my opinion. Unless, of course, you've got the biggest budgets in the world and, and you can just throw endless money at things, then that's fine. But most organizations don't have that. Usually not. So in terms of, you talked about just like the functionality of it, even sort of the the, the way to, to monetize it potentially, because that's sort of the word that always gets used um, in the sports world. We're ultimately always trying to monetize things. There's no advertisement on the moment. So is that something that you expect they're going to want to try to get speed on pretty quickly just as a way to encourage people. Um, Cause it's almost like you're going to, it's a little bit, I guess like Twitter introducing the new influencer fund as a way to try to promote people to actually make engaging content on the platform. Is that something you imagine they're likely going to strive to do to get people to produce content that helps keep that retention rate up high? Yeah, absolutely. And um, in the short term, make no bones about it. The Zuckerberg, um, release this platform to cause a nice little spike on behalf of shareholder value. Um, and in the meantime, he'll be collecting data. He'll be better understanding users and he'll be in a more informed place moving forward in, re in, in regard to where he takes the platform. So to answer your question, yes, those things will come, but they'll be measured. He'll understand what's needed and where the gaps are, or at least he should do. And, um, and it's only at that point that I believe that it can really challenge Twitter because at the minute there's no USP. There's nothing special there that is going to encourage me to open up threads as opposed to Twitter where there's generally much more activity. And furthermore, what, what, one thing to mention that threads isn't available in the EU. So there's a, there's a huge part of the world that won't see your message if you are um, participating as a as a publisher on threads. Do you have any take on why that is the case, Sean? Is it just the data issue around GDPR or is, it, is, it, is there anything more to it than that? Yeah, it's legislation. It's, it, it's murky and it's, it's not worth the risk at this juncture for Meta. Yeah. Taking a step back, I guess, you know, looking across those different platforms, um, video, you know, is, it seems to be the heart and soul of everyone's content strategy now. Is it is it is it like that? Is it from your view, from what you're seeing across the industry, that it's just you can't throw enough effort and energy into creating video for social um, to to drive engagement and audiences, or is video just one piece of many different layers to a content strategy that sports need to be focusing on? Uh, so, so it's absolutely one piece of a wider content strategy. That said. Um, Live video especially so is one way in which to trump algorithms. Live video is always at the top of the feed. You often get notifications. It's a good way in order it's a good way in which to get or acquire um, greater viewership and more engagement. Um, from a content perspective and non-live, there are I, I speak with a lot of content teams across sports organizations around the world. And many of them are, are fed up because they put a lot of effort into their content. And at the minute, they are not getting the, um, the eyeballs that they'd hoped for. Distribution isn't serving their efforts as well as they might want it to. And um, this is part of the digital strategy piece and not being reliant on those third-party platforms because who knows what will happen tomorrow. 
and th- and this has happened. I mean, I, I remember ten years ago now working for BT Sport, publishing content online, and I'd get millions and millions of views because back then it was a lot easier to do so than it is today. Algorithms have changed. I think it was at the end of two thousand eighteen there was the biggest change within Meta. So I forgot where I started on this little monologue, but in essence, if 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 you are going to ensure value for video content, then you need to be sure that you're in control of your own destiny, at least to a certain extent. Um, and that is that that should be a, a core, a fundamental part of your digital strategy. It's an interesting point that you make there talking about, you know, I'm aware of some Premier League football clubs that have these full-blown studios to produce content, but yet none of them got nearly as many views as Burnley's transfer video last year using Shrek, which I'm sure required probably um, less resources in terms of manpower, less resources in terms of production. Um, and it's just, an, I, I don't know, I find that interesting, as you say, like, you know, when in terms of producing that video content, sometimes based on the way the algorithm works and how people will get recommended content and what people like, um, there's ways to get a lot of views with, you know, maybe a fraction of the resources some people are putting into it. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's all sorts of different tricks. Um, there's all sorts of different ways in which you can nurture that engagement and nurture that awareness. But as you say, there's 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 certainly an element of the big players being able to invest into those social platforms, pay to play, in order to ensure their content is more successful than other content. It's not an even playing field, so it can be frustrating. People get people are irritated because it's not it doesn't necessarily come down to merit, meritocracy. Mm. Um, so Sean, let's, let's get, uh, let's get a bit creative here and bit theoretical. So, um, your, um, you, you said you talked to a lot of content production teams, you work with content production teams. Let's put ourselves in, in a sort of mid-level sports team in, I don't know, in, let's say football anecdotally. Okay. Um, what, what would be the rough mix that you would say of like the, 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 the team that you would think you would have to, deliver content uh, across those different channels in the different ways you know what would be your optimal approach on that just i'm curious to hear how you see you know how heavy is it on the video side versus other bits are you focusing on one platform just what would that do you have a sense or a feel of what that team could look like what you would be recommending to someone if they were setting their sights on ramping up audiences uh, across those channels do you, do you mean from an org chart perspective nick yeah, a bit yeah, more. Okay. Yeah, I think you'd be more all chart life. Thought it'd be this interesting lens on this. Yeah, so, so, so it, I, I always find it strange that the jurisdiction of a social team ends with views and engagement. Hmm. I'm not here to give careers advice, but if I worked in a social team, I'd be saying to these people, "Look, you, you should be demanding that you offer you deliver more value than just views and engagement." You want to walk into the CEO's office and talk to them on their level about delivering upon um, revenue, data, audience development, the things that the board will be asking of them. That's that's how your career grows, and that's how the trajectory of your career is a, what's the word? A hockey stick. So um, I say that because in order to do that, you can't just be within a social team. You can't just be within a social vertical. You need to sit within a wider digital strategy. And it's always strange to me if there's a social vertical, a social team and a digital team, and not a social team within a digital team. 
because ultimately the social team needs to serve that digital team. They need to drive for those, those, um, those KPIs that senior execs are going to be asking for. If you have a social team that's just off on their own, trying to, trying to create views and engagement, and we might get onto this, but views aren't necessarily views. A view on Facebook is a three-second autoplay. A view on YouTube is um, 30 seconds having intentionally press play, all important, very, very different. Then, um, then you need to be within that digital team. Everyone within the organization needs to be working together to drive beyond the outputs alone towards KPIs that are actually going to further organization and make them better. Um, otherwise, if, if you are a social team outside of the wider organization, <laughs> to use the Tour de France example, you're just a domestique serving the, the general classification rider. You're, you're, you're just doing all of this hard work, but you're not serving the bigger picture. You're not, you're, you're not helping that GC or being the GC yourself. It's moneyball effectively that Jonah Hill in, in Moneyball said something, I'm going to get this wrong now as well, but Jonah Hill said something along the lines of there's an imperfect understanding of the game of baseball because everyone is chasing runs or trying to buy players that get you runs when actually what you need is hits. You need, you, you need to work towards that bigger picture and that bigger result, not just the, not just the, the one person here or there, which is all important. It's, the, it's similar to um, XG in football. You mentioned football at the start. Mm-hmm. We have XG as a stat, but it's not going re- to replace goals. It's not going to replace the, the ultimate KPI. Views and engagement is XG. It's, there's, there's, there's value there. If you've got a high XG, the likelihood is you've got a higher goals. But ultimately, you need to focus on the goals, not the XG. That's what's going to win you the games. Well, I think that does lead us nicely into the sort of the meat and potatoes of your LinkedIn post and the article you read talking about actual measurement. And that's something, you know, we talk about quite a bit with engagement and, you know, everyone wants to tout those numbers. Uh, it's not to to say they're worthless, whatnot. But, you know, I think back to we had Blake Suchin from the NFL and he posted uh, something about the NFL's numbers across the Super Bowl. And it was something like they had 6 billion impressions across the 24-hour window and they started breaking down. This was the number of views on TikTok, the number of engagements on Twitter, impressions on Twitter. And I mean, we're talking about, like I said, it was six. I remember being 6 billion impressions on a day. So basically every human being had some sort of impression, but you know, you started going through like, why, why are we actually talking about these numbers and um, almost sort of challenging, you know, when they make those sorts of uh, nice visual posts to share across their social platforms, you know, where, where's maybe some of the, I guess, before we kind of pick that apart, sort of the, the key or the core element of you sort of challenging that. I mentioned earlier on about, so, so on TikTok, an impression is the same as a view. So if you're talking about impressions, then, and you're talking about views, that they're one and the same thing. Meanwhile, a view on Facebook is the same as a three-second autoplay. Coincidentally, that three-second autoplay is also engagement to meta. So you might be on your Facebook feed and you might be looking at a picture of what your best friend had for dinner last night. Meanwhile, there's a video auto playing at the bottom for three seconds. According to Meta and the analytics that are collected, that's not just a view, that's engagement. I would argue it's barely an impression. 
YouTube, much higher threshold. You have to intentionally press play and watch for 30 seconds. Views could also be on your own. You could also have paid $19 to watch a pay-per-view. Engagement might be the purchase of a match ticket or a subscription or um, a match jersey, whatever it might be. The, the, the variance here is, is huge. So, so when people post these big numbers about having X number of views and X engagement, it's, it's, it's XG, but only just. Like there's very, you, you can't get much data out of that. You can't draw many uh, useful conclusions. Um, and instead, in my opinion, sports organizations, they, they need to work on having a better relationship with their fans so that they know when they're watching and they can report more accurately on the engagement they're getting on specific pieces of content so they understand their funnel better, there's more sponsor value, they can make better business decisions. Ultimately, they can drive those KPIs that I keep referring to, the revenue, the data, and the audience development. If they're, if they're playing in this, in this sandbox that is social, where, as I say, by design, they're not supposed to understand the algorithm fully, then they're just not going to be able to um, construct a social strategy that is going to deliver upon the KPIs, which are so important to their business, their organization, and further it subsequently. I'm just thinking aloud. I was speaking to someone that was working at a Premier League football club, and he basically said, YouTube is my measuring stick in the sense of if content is good on YouTube, that's how I can gauge whether or not I've created a good piece of content. And you sat there and you said, uh, you know, it's 30 seconds of an intentional click for that to be a view. That seems to be a far more consistent um, metric than, as you say, an autoplay on Facebook. So as you're looking at these different platforms and, you know, Nick was talking about which platforms would you perhaps prioritize your attention? Does that come into play? Would you say that's a safe uh, assumption I've drawn that, you know, some platforms like YouTube, the data may be more indicative of what's actually the truth in terms of what people are interested in? Or how do you view that from a platform to platform basis? Within the org chart, it's not that I would prioritize attention or to prioritize resource to those specific platforms, but I would attach greater value to YouTube. So I, I just consider TikTok to be further up the funnel. If you have someone lying in bed, flicking through a piece of content and they watch a six, six second video, whatever it might be, that's right at the top of the funnel. If they're down on YouTube and they're watching 10, 20, 30 minutes of video content that they've intentionally chosen to watch, then you're naturally going to have a much stronger relationship with that, that user. And they're, they're far more primed to then subsequently be moved across onto your own. And sure. In terms of like, then this whole like notion of comparing, contrasting those platforms, because it does happen, right? It's difficult to do because the, the, the numbers don't align, the numbers don't match. Do you think there's any way? So let's say you're getting served, I don't know, I'm pulling numbers out of thin air, but let's say you get a hundred thousand views on YouTube and you've got a million on TikTok, right? And someone sits there and goes, okay, well, we've got to decide where we're going to put more time and effort. Is there any way of trying to like look at the numbers there to go, well, or have you, your own theory or, or so so forth or approach to how you would go, okay, well, we that's that area is where we should need to be doubling down on because that seems to be getting a lot of, that, that seems to be an area where you're engaging more people 
or getting audience, I should say, not engaging. But what do you have a feel on on how you would approach that sort of so, challenge of looking at platform to platform? From the outside looking in, comparing those that viewership, it's difficult. But on the inside, if you're an admin of those platforms and you have more access to the data, then it's very, very easy to go into Meta and pull um, f- 15 seconds or, um, sorry, 10 seconds or one minute views. Now, <laughs> candidly, a lot of people aren't going to want to do that. And they're certainly not going to want to make it public because those three second autoplays do a hell of a lot for their numbers. If you start looking at one minute plays, then there's going to be, I was going to say there's going to be less value, but that's not the case. It's the same value. Like you you can't, the data doesn't lie, but you just know what you're working with and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're, um, you're treating that data with respect as opposed to just trying inflating, as opposed to just trying to inflate numbers for whatever purpose that might be, whether it's sponsorship, whether it's vanity, I don't know. You say it doesn't lie, but uh, I think <laughs> over the years there's been instances where yeah, that's true. Where some of them have lied, <laughs> and uh, and also some don't really some like to lie to themselves. Uh, ignorance yeah. is bliss, I think, is the term that you can you can use given your point. But, look, um, you, you also you also don't necessarily need to rely upon those social platforms. I, I love my football club, and I won't mention who it is, A, because it's embarrassing and B, because it wouldn't be fair because every football club is more or less the same. I'm only using them as an example. But I sometimes think that I'm a fish in a barrel for my football club. They should have all the information they want on me. And I'm surprised they don't have more than they do. Hmm. I worked with um, Hammerby, which is a Swedish football club, a few years ago. And technically, it was a bit complicated, but the, the idea was very simple. We offered a live tunnel cam to fans in the stadium. So you've got a, fan, a stadium full of 25,000 fans. They're looking at an empty pitch. The most attentive audience you'll ever have. We said to them, guys, if you want to see what's happening in the belly of the stadium, if you want to see the players walking out the locker room, up through the tunnel, download the app, open it up, create an account, you had to create an account to view the content and you can, you can see it from, from your seats. Very, very simple. But for the first two months of doing that, the new user signups on the app doubled week on week. For two months, they doubled week on week. And then subsequently, if they, if they were going to push out content, whether it be a press conference or whether it be a, a new jersey launch, they could do so via the push notifications, which have a far greater open rate, and they can ensure that message is getting to a qualified audience. As opposed to the casual or avid fandom, whichever way it is, they might find on social platforms. The reliance on social platforms in order to own that relationship is, is just not healthy. You need to do more. You need to have a stronger, you, you need to control your own destiny a little bit and know that you're not, um, <laughs> you're not, you're not hopefully reaching the people that you need to reach. Um, we, we throw engagement numbers around all the time, but a, 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 a hypothetical club has engagement rate of 1%. They've got a million followers and 10%, which is quite high for a football club, is in their target audience. Perhaps it's local because they want to sell tickets. So 1% 
of 1 million, we're down to 10,000. And then 10% of that 10,000, we're down to 1,000. And 10% is high. You could equally argue that's 1, 2, 3%, 100, 200, 300 people that you might reach. It's, it, it's a huge problem. It's, and and um, this is the lifeblood of your organization. This is your ability to sell revenue. It's, um, it's so important to have a quality relationship with your, your, your fan base. And um, too many sports organizations don't have that. Go ahead, Nick. I, I see you've got something you want to say. Uh, well, I've got pl- plenty <laughs> I've got to say. Uh, no, no, I, 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 I really echo Sean's sentiment. I'm just curious to say, Sean, um, a couple of things. One, that example, that 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 the notion of the, the need to drive audiences and, and to your own destination, your own platform is, is certainly one that I think a lot of people in the industry are definitely aware of, but they're really struggling to work out how to achieve that with substance. I think they all found it, when they have tried it, found it a lot harder than they have all expected to do so. Do you know of any, firstly, do you know of any examples that sort of stand out to you as people that have done it well? Or you know, or is there any other, any sort of general thoughts on how to approach that that sort of challenge of getting people from building a mass social audience to drive them to your own and operated platforms like you suggested? Yeah, so it's, look, it's, so it's always a value exchange. Right? Fans aren't going to change user behaviors unless you give them a reason to do so. So, so either you can do something different, something new, something that they can't find elsewhere, or you can do something a little bit better. Now, if it is a little bit better, then that will often mean perhaps short-term pain for long-term gain. That might mean um, sacrificing some of those three-second views to migrate that viewership across might only be an exclusivity period. But a lot of people aren't prepared to do that, perhaps because of sponsorship relationships. I don't know, those, those, those vanity reasons. They, they don't want to take that pain. Or the alternative is to do something a little bit different. And um, there's some good examples out there. The, the darling of the sports industry when it comes to this is, is the Masters, right? Um, their app is brilliant. It's, it's different, they, the, the way they present the data, the way you can keep updated about what's going on um, is, is, is just, it's just so well delivered. And I think there's a bit of a theme in terms of success when it comes to those sports that have tentpole events and need to make the most of that opportunity. So the masters know that when the masters comes around, that's their chance. They need to grasp it. It's the same with the Tour de France. Great app again. Re- really enjoyed working with the tour or using the Tour de France app during the summer. I went to Roland Garros a few a few weeks ago. Again, really good app. They've, they've, they've nailed it. It's great. They've got another challenge, which is maintaining engagement throughout the year. And I think that that um, is often a bit of a political challenge because you then subsequently need the Tour de France to work with the Giro d'Italia. You need to the Roland Garros to work with other tour events on the ATP, whatever it might be. US sports do a great job, but it's a lot easier for US sports outside of the NFL just because they have so much more content. There's so much more to keep updated on, and there's only one place to find it. Big baseball fan, you'll often find me in the in the MLB app checking out what's happened the night before. And the intriguing one that I don't know a lot about, but the, the, the one that I'm always fascinated to learn more about is the, um, is the Premier League app, specifically so because of fantasy football. The amount of engagement they get out of that is just unreal. 
I sometimes wonder if they could be doing more. I don't know how much data is shared with the clubs, but it's a huge opportunity. They might be doing a great job. Like, I, I can't speak to that. I'm speaking out of turn a little bit. But I, 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 it's, it's, it's a huge opportunity. There's, there's so much worthwhile engagement there. Um, I used to watch football because I like football. Now I watch football because I hope my captain's going to score a hat trick, which is, which is crazy. It's, just, it's, it's fundamentally changed me and my friends and how I consume the sport, which I've, I've known since I was a kid. Well, we actually have a great uh, video on the YouTube Sports Pros YouTube channel, which is an interview with the director of digital uh, media for the Premier League on Fantasy Premier League. So, for those listening, go check it out it's with Alex Alex Willis. Um, uh, actually, got a lot of engagement. I think it's one of our highest uh, rate, rating videos from all those fantasy uh, wannabe experts out there who want to try and get a, a look into what's what's the future holds. I'll, I'll go check it out. Absolutely. Uh, I, a quick plug for you guys, and it's a it's an editorial plug. I like I sincerely want to know. I'll turn the tables a little bit. You guys have just launched your own D 2 C strategy. What were your motives for doing so, and why was now the right time? Well, that's the first time we've been asked a question uh, in a long in a long time. Um, should I take that one, Chris? Probably, probably um, best. Or you want to have a crack? Uh, I mean, you you like to crack jokes about my sense of fashion at events as the community lead. So you, as the CEO, get to answer that question. <laughs> uh, sure. So the, the the business the business reason is um, effectively we get you know over a hundred thousand uh, users to our website um, every week on average. But we uh, over the last few years have been prioritizing our growth through particularly through events and through our non. Uh, D2C uh, relationships or B2B style relationships has been our main monetization model. So we've grown this audience uh, through our own platforms and not uh, actually social hasn't been a huge priority for us. It's it's a top of the funnel stuff, but not uh, driving that much value. But as our business has grown, we've now been in a place where we can, we've always been wanting to sort of find a way to basically A, serve our audience better than just the, the top level news and insights that we've been creating. So what else can we do to serve them better? Um, and then from a business perspective, try and sort of solve a bit of a, um, a gap in our business model where, um, you know, we are producing a lot of content that's getting read and consumed by audiences, but we weren't able to turn that into anything of real substance and turn that into whether it's sponsorships or advertising revenue or any way to just fund the model so we can create more content. Um, so by providing a, something that's more of the, the, the bottom end of the, the funnel, the more of the, the pointer end, uh, it allows us to start better serving people, getting more data on their consumption habits, better serving them, and also start generating more revenue to f- keep funding what we want to do on the content side. So that's more of the business angle. I could give you a nice fluffy reason why no, no, we want no, that, that's good. to yeah, serve I, the industry, but that's, that's, that's really it, basically. And, and, and how do you reflect upon how well social has served your efforts over the course of the oh, last good few question. years? My initial review on it is it's super top of the funnel stuff that you can't really, it's very difficult to get any sort of uh, measure on that driving meaningful returns to us. So for anecdotally, we've had more people subscribe through use of codes and so forth from the pods than we have from any of the social activity we we did. Yeah. Um, The the events that you guys put on are great. They're really good. And I, sorry, I don't keep, I, I don't mean to, to both smoke, but um, but I, I, c- I can absolutely imagine the the value of that engagement at those events is just so much more meaningful and worthwhile 
than the engagement that you get anywhere else. And I know you've obviously blown up the event side of your business and it's, it's much bigger than it used to be. But um, that's that for me, if I, if I were working for sports pro that that's the opportunity. Cause as you said, they're at the bottom of the funnel. If you can migrate them across into a sports pro digital platform where you're again, since it's relevant to the conversation we just had, you can then really? subsequently ensure that they hear your messages. They hear about your content in between those events. Um, and you're not reliant upon the social platforms in order to reach them. The business will be in a lot, a much stronger place. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and that's that's something we're more than aware of. Like, it, it is a balancing act of you know we've done, we've been guilty of this as well. You know, talking to our team, we see it could be YouTube videos, podcast listens, etc., um, just social posts that blow up, and typically the ones that they blow up are the ones that are more consumer led versus ones that are actually serving serving the industry. Um, and the people we, we really want to talk to and engage in every day. So whilst it might be nice to get a video that gets nearly 100,000 views uh, of that 100,000, to your exact point before, how many of those are the actual the, the people that we really want to be engaging with day in, day out? And so that's the challenge, I think, for any media business is to delineate how to – you've got to keep challenging yourself always when you start getting way, way with those numbers and what they really mean to you. Um, so – yeah, I, I think we're all constantly challenging each other on that. Absolutely. And it, it's a good question to ask yourself. Would you rather have, again, you can pick the numbers yourselves, but would you rather have 3,000, sorry, 1,000 three-second views or 100,000, sorry, the other way around, 1,000 <laughs> one-minute views or 100,000 three-second views? Yeah. And there's no yeah. right or wrong answer. But that is that is the question that a lot of organisations should be asking each other. Mm. Big time. I, I want to to lean into the monetization bit here because you mentioned that Sean, like you know, if you're talking to taking and selling uh, the the um, your division's uh, value to the CEO or the, the senior leadership, one of the things is around what you're bringing to the the business and organisation. Um, audience development is one thing. Monetization is another. Now. We've covered a quite a bit of that across social media, across owner operated platforms, the role of e-commerce, the role of other in- initiatives. Just where do you see um, particularly social media's role in that? From what we've talked a little bit about, I want to sort of crystallize that a little bit further. Is is it mainly through you know, sponsored content uh, and using it as an outlet for partners across the wider group that want to target that audience and to hit some big numbers? Do you think there's actually some meaningful revenue to be made there or is it more that marketing funnel uh, approach you've talked about and driving people to your own platforms is the primary value proposition it brings. It, it's all of the above. And and I should add that I, I can often sound like I am against the social platforms. I'm anti, anti-Facebook, anti-Twitter, whatever it might be. That's not the case. Social, those social platforms, the incumbents, they are, there's, there's an ocean of people out there. There's a huge amount of value. However, if you go fishing in that ocean and you catch a fish, you might not catch a fish, that same fish a second time. So you just need to kind of step up a little bit and recognize that you can't, as, as, as an industry, specifically social teams within an industry, we can't continue to just push content out and be satisfied with the, the metrics that the social platforms give us. We need to push beyond that. So that might, to answer your question, 
that might mean um, ensuring that we give brands and sponsors and partners more value. What that value looks like, I don't know, but it's it's very similar to the marketing funnel within your own organization. How are you tangibly driving traffic to their platform or helping them meet their KPIs? I just think that as as a as I say as a as a vertical within the industry, everybody just needs to step up a little bit and and make sure that you are really pushing the envelope and ensuring that you use social, don't have social use you, because that is so often the case. On the monetization front, we've talked about threads being, you know, the monetization size and not there yet. They'll bring that in as and when. They've, there's rumors that they'll use uh, various creator tools that exist within Instagram and bring that into the platform to monetize, but it's, it's all speculation at, at this point. Are there any uh, key platforms, whether it be YouTube, whether it be Twitter, whether it be TikTok, Facebook, et cetera, that do actually drive organic revenues from either from like the ad the ads network that they they have and they operate in um you know we've heard conversations around some of the sports teams driving pretty good revenue through youtube as a as a advertising um proposition not them selling ads but just leaning on the the youtube product to do the work for them uh, do you do you have a take on which ones are the best place to generate that sort of income for a sports sports team league etc i would lean towards youtube again Elon has just announced that he's, he's supporting creators and, and he's creating those revenue streams for those those high-performing accounts. But look, YouTube has been by, by far and away the, the, the leader in that space. I think that Chris said it earlier on. It's, it, it's absolutely the platform that has the most value once you get them there, but they're probably further down the funnel as a subscriber. And if you get them as a subscriber and you can churn that viewership, that meaningful viewership, that worthwhile viewership, those 30-second intentional plays, then you're going to be able to monetize that user base far better than you will on the other platforms that are more gratifying, put it that way, I suppose, more clickbaity than than YouTube. One of the social media, I guess, case studies I find interesting, it probably slightly outdated at this point, but I think back to the NBA five, 10 years ago when House of Highlights was just becoming a thing. I always feel like the NBA was much more open and receptive to people repurposing their content on social media because it was just good to have scale of all those people doing those different things compared to other organizations being very protective over their IP in terms of what they would allow people um, to do UCG with things like that. In terms of, you know, looking at the value of things like that, I guess uh, there's sort of... uh, reach versus revenue and sort of like balancing that out. You know, what do you put behind a paywall versus what you allow to be free? Now I get the NBAs on a different scale. So for them, some free social media stuff is probably different than maybe more niche sport where, you know, we've said before, niches get riches. And if you are someone that's uh, maybe not the most popular, but has a very loyal fan base, you want to try to monetize all that. Um, You know, when you're looking at that, like I said, reach versus revenue in terms of content you're willing to put out there for free on social media versus just accepting that any good views are good for your organization how do you approach that balance so so it's a really good question and i mentioned that i've been working with john boy media recently who's a um actually that might have been before we went live but i've been working with john boy media who's a um a bronx-based youtube creator initially a yankees fan um he made his name and he built up his following by doing lip reading and trying to work out what was going on within key moments of baseball games. MLB hated it. 
they were taking, he was taking their content for free. He was, he was turning it around. He was repurposing it. He was making it his own and the viewership was skyrocketing. MLB now work with John Boy. John Boy, you'll find him on MSG. They recognized, there's a, there's a, there's a lovely kind of, um, there's a lovely narrative there. There's a lovely timeline, which perhaps is representative of the wider industry, where there was recognition that actually letting go a little bit and having giving people the leash to run with content and repurpose it and make it their own can be advantageous to the sport. John, ba- John Boy, as I said that I was a big baseball fan. John Boy's, um, he's played a big part in, in my interest in the sport and learning and, and, and learning about personalities. And, um, and, and I think that as a sports organization, you need to be ready to accept that there are content creators out there with their own spin on things that will amplify your sport, your message, big moments, whatever they might be. And you should be ready to accommodate that. That's what I was going to say. I've got a big question for you. How yeah. did you get into baseball? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great sport for a, for a European audience. The 110 sports, the 110 starts, uh, uh, 10 past seven in Europe, 10 past six in the UK. And, um, and I don't know, I, was, I, I think I was working at BT Sport at the time and I was watching a load of football. I was watching a load of rugby. I always needed my sporting fix and I found it watching the Mets. And incidentally, the Mets have got a great commentary team. They've got Gary, Keith and Ron, who are award-winning commentators. They're they're the background to to me making dinner in the evening and they make you smile. They're often not talking about the baseball in a similar way to TMS won't often be talking about the cricket. And it's just great. It's just always there for you. It's, It's comforting, you know? Well, before we got started, I was gonna I was gonna ask you, you know, what your summer sport was thinking, going to lean to the 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 Swedish side of seeing. I was thinking floorball or something might be on the list, but uh, baseball was not going to be my first guess. No, baseball's it. Well, Nick gets mad at me because uh, we're like I said, I think we're about fifty five days away from me talking about the Bengals on every podcast. But if you're a baseball fan, have you watched or seen any of Ellie De La Cruz? Let me represent Cincinnati in any way that I can. Have you seen Ellie with the Cincinnati Reds? No, I haven't. But oh. when I hang out with you guys, I'll, I'll I'll check it out, mate. Dude's a unicorn. Go, just tune in. I'll send you some highlights after this. Um, any American that watches baseball, yeah, Ellie De La Cruz is a freak. He's not of this earth. He's an alien. I'll send you some clips. He's he's unreal. Great for social so, media. You've opened the floodgates now, Sean. So, You've opened the floodgates. So, so, so Chris, as, as a baseball fan and as a Mets fan, I've candidly done my best to not watch quite so much baseball right now, given the way it's going for the Mets. So. That's my excuse. That's fair. I bet for the Reds to lose 100 <laughs> games this year. And basically since Ellie De La Cruz got called up three weeks ago, like you, I now start every single morning watching the Reds' highlights on YouTube. Haven't watched the Reds for seven years because they've been trash. But Ellie De La Cruz led them to a 12-game win streak. Um, I think they've just dropped out of first place in the division, but he's a social media machine. So, yeah, just the, like I said, YouTube is where the proper true engagement is. Absolutely. So, Nick, I'm conscious we've only got a few more minutes left. Is there any particular burning questions that you've still got left on your side? I know you said you had a list of questions to, to fire away. Yeah, I'm just conscious we have uh, run on a little bit longer than expected. I I mean, we mentioned – I want to lean into the Tour de France example, actually, because it's a great example of uh, of a sports property. It has a very specific brand and 
persona, I suppose, given the, the connection with France. Just What's your take? Give us a little rundown on how you think they approach their content strategy and, and social strategy. So, um, so the Tour de France is an interesting one and you can relate it to many sports that are out there, especially so because they've naturally got a huge French-speaking audience. So straight away, if you're going to ensure that your content is relevant, which is all important, if you're going to engage with people meaningfully, that's your first hurdle. You've, you've got a huge split in your audience that speak a different language. The next hurdle, which is almost just as high, is that you've got a lot of people that know absolutely nothing about the sport. You've got a lot of people that know something about the sport. And then you've also got a lot of avid fandom. You've got a lot of expertise as well. So I think that the Tour de France, especially so, are a really good example of an organization speaking to every one of those audiences, which isn't an easy thing to do. And the app, which is great, then subsequently becomes all the more important because I can go to the app and find the content that is relevant to me as opposed to stumbling across content that will only be relevant to a certain type of user, a certain type of fan that's in one of those buckets that I mentioned at the top. So um, it's a hugely challenging sports property from a content perspective. Um, and I think they do a great job. But their O&O is all important so as to be able to find content that is relevant to you, not just have content that is put in front of you within social feeds. The, the, the O&O, I just want to sort of lean on that a little bit. During the live broadcast, is that something that is that a platform that you're you're actively using a lot during the live product, or because that's the tension, right? You see a lot of sports properties like, what do we do during the live? Do we create something that sinks those relationships, or we just let them live and breathe on social and go to work? What's your view on how they bring that to life? I, look, again, Tour de France complements the sport itself is complementary to a second screen experience. Because there is, there's so much going on at any one time. You might have the leaders, you might have a GC battle in between, some pursuers, then you might have the peloton at the back. There's always something going on. And, um, and it's not always in the same place. So whilst you can have your, your main screen, first screen experience, having that, that bank of knowledge in real time on your phone is all important. And, um, as I say, they, 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 get, they do a great job of presenting that to you mm. because you've also got like, you've got the elevation, you've got the, like, you can track where people are at which part of the courses they're on. It's, it's, um, it's, it's really well put together. Awesome. Well, you've convinced me I'll at least start with Netflix and I'll work my way through the funnel to potentially um, downloading the app and maybe I'll catch the end of the Tour of France. And if and if they do, um, they can thank you personally for adding one more person into the funnel. We'll see, we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, Sean, I just want to at least uh, say thank you for joining us today. It's been a very, you know, fun conversation to get to go back and forth. I think to Nick's point, sometimes we speak to rights holders or broadcasters and sometimes there's limitations on what they'll be willing to say. But it was nice to be able to just kind of have some some friendly conversation back and forth. And, you know, Nick might not even recover from having the table slipped around and him being uh, the interviewer or interviewee, I should say. <laughs> oh, the beauty of podcasts. We can just cut that out afterwards and uh, <laughs> if I don't sound any good. No, thanks, Sean. It's been great to chat with you as always. And uh, thanks for, yeah, thanks for joining us. 
Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Cheers. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the SportsPro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.